0: This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK10. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM.
1: About a lot of standard orbit, Mr. Chekov, and take it soon.
0: I say. the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's newest series about Star Trek's oldest series, the original series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today is Mike from Commentary Track Stars.
1: Hey, Mike. How's it going? How was your week? Um, it was pretty good. There was lots of baseball on TV, so, you know. Oh I mean, oh boy. Yeah. Sports. Playoff baseball. It's great. <laughs> I know you're a fan. I love sports. It's my favorite.
0: Yeah. Well today thankfully we're not talking about sports. I don't have to fake my way through it. Star Trek was unique in that most shows have a pilot and the the network will throw money at them and say, Show us what you can do based on your script and then they'll make something and they'll say yay or nay. Star Trek was unique in the fact that they saw it, they liked the possibilities, but they wanted to see if they could do, what is that
1: you said that you read in Cushman's book? They wanted to make sure that they could do everything they said they could, you know, where, where as most shows have a pretty standard formula, Star Trek was big, you know, there's lots of different types of shows that, that Star Trek does, so they wanted to make sure that they could do the action as well as the, um, the thoughtful stuff i guess so they went back
0: and they shot where no man has gone before originally they were they were asked to produce three scripts so they produced mud's women the omega glory and uh and where no man has gone before and wisely nbc said why don't you try where no man has gone before and not the one with the the futuristic pimp or the one (laughs) Where Kirk ends
1: up reading the Declaration of Independence, so <laughs> you know I mean the thing about Star Trek being so big is that you can go in some crazy directions, and if people don't know what the baseline is, then it might be problematic so I... i'm
0: I'm impressed that I'm impressed that NBC read the script for the Omega Glory and didn't say, "You know what, forget this this Star Trek show no, that's just stupid, no,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah.
0: The Omega Glory, worse than Spock's Brain. I'll say it now.
1: See, I don't have a problem with The Omega Glory, really. I mean, I'll never watch it unprompted, but uh, no, I mean, that's that episode is very watchable. So they started with The Cage, starring Jeffrey Hunter
0: as Captain Christopher Pike, the The episode starts kind of in the middle of it, like well, kind of at the end of a previous episode, which is what I like about both pilots is they both kind of we're already together, we're already friends. It's not like let's get the band together for the first time. Both pilots have a group of people who've been together before on their way to their next mission the The whole thing is in media res they've got uh nothing's explained by a scroll, it's just they've been beat up they've they've had a lot of missions previous. They're on their way to get some rest and to to get some people some medical treatment. And they get a distress signal from Talos Four, which they ignore for the first 10 minutes. Which I appreciate that they just kind of, well, there's the main plot over there, but we're going to stay over here for a bit and Mm -hmm. talk about our problems with the doctor slash bartender, which I kind of miss, though he's very, my problem with the cage is that it's not very futuristic besides the the mental powers and stuff there's only a few shots of the ship there's no ship problems it's there's just paper you know the the computer prints out just a piece of paper which is obviously just a an extra shoving shoving paper through a slot on the set <laughs> <laughs> when pike's walking into his corridors uh to his quarters there's just people wearing 60s outfits walking down the hallway there's just, there's no, there's little futuristicness. Uh, the doctor knocks on the door, like he doesn't ring a doorbell or anything. It's just, he knocks on the sliding door before they let him in. It's really, this is a show set on a starship, but not necessarily futuristic. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Did you, do you get that idea? Maybe?
1: Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess I can kind of see it. I'm wondering if there might be three things at play there. One is maybe they didn't think about a lot of the futuristic stuff yet. Two is maybe they didn't have the money for a lot of it yet. And three mm-hmm. is maybe uh, they were sort of overcompensating for their general premise of this being a science fiction show, which was essentially um, just a regular drama in the future. You know, and in a lot of ways, I see... Star Trek as being sort of the uh the sixties equivalent to what Battlestar Galactica is today, you know where it's really like a modern drama, but in the future, and you know if you look at like what Roddenberry had been talking about and like the the stuff that they kept on trying to pound into to people's heads and everything at the time it's like This isn't, you know, Lost in Space. This isn't uh, Flash Gordon where it's like crazy things going on all the time and laser, well, I guess there are laser guns, but you know what I mean. You know, this is is very much based in science. It's science fiction, not, you know, not space fantasy. So maybe, maybe some of that stuff is just trying to say like, you know what, it is going to be pretty much the same as it is now just on a spaceship in the future okay i can get behind that but i think there are probably some other factors at play as well yeah i'm sure it was just
0: well we don't have any more budget for costumes so we'll just right you guys you look good yeah and the 60s futuristic was kind of the style at the times uh mm-hmm. the the 50s 60s uh a futuristic look the, the you know house of tomorrow that does all of your laundry for you they're dreaming you know by nineteen seventy we'll have all this this amazing technology. So I'm guessing they thought that they reached maybe the peak of technology. You know, well we've got printers that print out paper. You know, they right. can't get any better than that. No. Though Spock does use uh motion control to control his computer at times. That's true. Which is
1: is very like connecty. Yeah my wife does that with her phone now. I always make fun really? of her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why? She's like, well, this way, if I'm eating, I don't have to wipe off my hands. I'm like, okay. It makes <laughs> you happy.
0: Another thing is that uh, about the cage is that all the technology that they do use is a big deal. Like, let's go to Warp. Warp and yeah. there's like, you know, the lights start flashing and everybody's moving in kind of slow motion, kinda of like motion picture, I guess.
1: They play the theme song and, uh, They play right?
0: the theme song and there's stars over going over the uh,
1: overlaid over them. And there's the yeah, the lap dissolves, yeah. That 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 is the thing that really sticks out to me is the dissolves like look at how <laughs> awesome this is. We're it's so awesome Space. we've gotta show you two things at the same time. Because there's just so much <laughs> things and then and then transporters thankfully they
0: i mean that was kept to a minimum but there's a lot of transporting one person at a time instead of the group of people like everybody's about to beam down and just the women disappear and spock freaks out because he doesn't have a character It it is kind of disappointing like pike is the only person i think who really gets character and motivation i know it's only one episode But looking at, like, Where No Man Has Gone Before, we get a lot of characters pretty much fleshed out right at the beginning, within the first 60 seconds, even. Mm -hmm. You understand Kirk and Spock. But with Pike, you you learn Pike through the episode. But, number one, you don't know anything about her. Spock, you know even less of. He's an alien, but he acts just like everybody else. So there's there's nothing that sets him apart except for his pointed ears.
1: Well, you can kind of see... um... On like a surface level, what they were intending to do, you know, basically I think they were were doing the same thing that they ended up doing in the original series, which is have the id ego, super ego thing going on. But instead of it being with Spock, it was going to be with number one. She's the highly logical individual and everything like that. And even though she doesn't really do anything, you do see her character come through, which is basically Spock's character. And Spock, he's got his gimmick. He's an alien. And the doctor is, you know, gets a few moments because he's basically the guy that uh, Pike bounces his stuff off of, you know? Yeah. So so you can kind of see, even though none of them are, well, I guess even though none of them get to flesh out their, their own characters, they all have like a, a gimmick or something or, or a trait which helps to inform us as to what pike's character is
0: and and what the the show given you know with hunter and all those actors what it could have been yeah it would have been similar to tos yeah but with major barrett in a major role which would be kind of cool mm-hmm. the few things that that major gets to do in this episode are pretty incredible just her reaction shots is is all we need. It's just her reaction shots to well, i don 't know if I can get used to a woman on the bridge and she just spins
1: around. yeah he's like, well, you don't count, and she just glares at him <laughs> <laughs> she She does seem like a, a, kind of a badass in this in this episode. I would have liked to have seen what they would have done with her, but at the same time, I think the idea of getting rid of her and melding that character's traits with Spock. Was ultimately much more beneficial
0: yeah i would have loved to have been there when gene had to go to majel and say sorry honey we've got to uh they made me make a choice either the woman goes or the alien goes so i'm gonna combine your character and nimoy's character and give it to me no 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 you're, you're <laughs> gonna maybe i'll let you be you know a nurse or something randomly I don't want to make it look like I'm showing favoritism, but I also don't want to have to pay you money.
1: <laughs> I don't think he cared about making it look like he was showing favoritism. I think everyone knew and he's just like uh, you know, who cares? I'm I'm the boss. <laughs> but the uh the cage
0: when I watch it now after watching like the first couple seasons of Next Generation, it feels very like a Next Generation episode to me. It's very slow and methodical, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of conference room scenes. I mean, I know we joke about that, but there are a lot of scenes where they're sitting down like, well, Captain's kidnapped. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. I guess we could, like, shoot phasers at it. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, like, the, the network's comments about it being too cerebral, I think, are... Well, I mean, I don't think it's too cerebral, but at the same time, I see what they're talking about. You know, there is a lot of contemplative, you know, character scenes where they're just sitting around talking about lots of stuff, you know, philosophy and strategy and the human condition and and everything like that. And if you're billing this as, you know, a space Western, I can see how that would be uh, kind of a turnoff to some people.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not wagon trained the stars at this point. It's... It's more what Next Generation is. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's great that Gene had the idea and he set out to do it and he didn't pull any punches. He was like, this is the kind of show I want to make. I can do other kind of shows, but this is what I want the basis to be. This is what I want to lead with, even if they didn't let him lead with it. They did let him cut it in half and use it as a two-part episode.
1: I don't even know if people were doing two-part episodes in the 60s. Two part episodes I don't think were uh really that strange, but the idea of having a show where half of it is about another cast and, and recycling a pilot like that is uh was never done before for sure. And I, I think that's pure genius. I mean he's got
0: this whole show. It doesn't really fit in not like where No Man Has Gone Before, which it could show like as a third episode or and and most people didn't even notice that McCoy wasn't there and they were wearing different uniforms and the ship looked different. But to just insert the cage in there is kind of blatant. I mean, it's it's a genius idea with the framing story and using the one character that that was the same in them both. I have to give him a lot of respect for that, for being able to think of that and to pull it off and to save that much money. I mean, two episodes worth. Sure, there's new shuttlecraft shots, but there's there's really not much money spent on it. They
1: just sat in the briefing room and watched the pilot. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that, you know, reading the, the, the Cushman book, while, while it's true that they saved money and there was a lot of negotiating going back and forth as to who was going to pay for what and and how it's going to count in, in terms of the number of episodes and stuff like that, and while that was sort of the, uh, the hook that, that Roddenberry used to get them to do it, he started pitching that like, well, we need to save money. We're almost out of money well before they had money problems during season one. (laughs) He just wanted to get that out there because he was really proud of the episode itself. He wanted people to see it. And, you know, like looking at some of the, the memos and stuff that were going back and forth about the menagerie, like I get the impression that Roddenberry really felt that the cage and as an extension, the menagerie was kind of like his, his masterpiece, his baby, his personal masterpiece, you know, which I mean, I, Hey, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. And the moral
0: what what's let, let's break it down. What what is the the moral of the story in the cage? Is it that, that mankind was not meant to be held captive? Is it as Venus says, when dreams become more important than reality, you give up travel, building and creating? Is that is it is it something about television, you think? Or the holodeck? It's impressive that Roddenberry would write this about you know all your dreams can come true and that's bad all your dreams coming true is bad and then in next generation here all your dreams can come true and
1: it's totally awesome yeah i mean i think uh what yeah what you're saying makes a lot of sense it it, it does have you know the same themes that we see in in a lot of stuff uh you know even wall-e and it's interesting that he would choose this for the first episode of his new futuristic science fiction show he's basically saying like Eventually, technology is going to get to the point where we don't have to do anything. Like, we can literally sit in a chair and probably control things with our mind and and, and everything. Well, do exactly what the Talosians do. When we reach that point, we have to be careful that we don't stop doing what it is that makes us better in the first place, you know, that, that made us better in the first place, that we don't settle for something which we think is 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 you know the the peak we need to keep on going forward we need to keep on growing as a species uh, otherwise we might as well just die otherwise that we will be in our own personal cages you know the talosians are yeah. are are in a cage as much as uh, the humans are
0: as as deep as that was NBC wanted to see action wanted to see fighting they wanted to see big, big, more big budget stuff. So they picked Where No Man Has Gone Before, which immediately opens up with uh, them heading to the edge of the galaxy, and Kirk and Spock and they're immediately establishing the fact that Spock doesn't have emotions. Oh, one of your Earth emotions. Which he says with a grin, which which is weird and and worries me a bit,
1: but... <laughs> It, it was still early on they were still i mean i can forgive stuff like that because they were still trying to figure out what the character was you know they none of them had done this before we're we're looking at it with the the hindsight of you know 47 years of spock you know right they had they had like one one other episode where he was completely different
0: but uh, it does it does at least establish the characters uh right away uh, which i appreciate more than just the focus on the captain. And they immediately go to Redwood and they immediately start running around and they immediately run into turbo lifts and going up and down and it's it's definitely starts off more action packed than than the cage did. I'm going to start off by saying I like where no man has gone before better. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what that says about me. I mean, I guess I always lean toward the the more actiony episodes. I, mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. But I also think that this episode is is also fairly
1: deep. I would agree with that. You know, we're looking at it today. I, I was, you know, I was I was watching it and I was thinking, you know, there's really not a hell of a lot of difference between this and the cage on a tonal level or a content level or anything like that. Really, the big thing, which you know, everyone seems to make a big deal out of every time you you hear people talk about it, is like the studio wanted it to end on a big action beat. And it's like, yeah, I guess it does that, and that, that is a pretty big action beat and big, bigger than anything that is in the cage. But aside from that, I mean, you could have stuck that at the end of the cage somehow and gotten essentially the same the same That's thing. true. You know?
0: Have him fight the little girly alien big head <laughs> women and...
1: I mean, I don't know. He but, does I mean, fight
0: one of them. It's just a very short fight.
1: It, it, I mean, it's contrived in, in Where No Man Has Gone Before, too, kind of. You know, I mean, he's fighting this this being which can control things with his mind, you know, and they, they do the whole thing where, you know, the kind of Return of the Jedi thing where uh, the the other godlike being, you know, fights with him with, with lightning bolts and and takes away his powers for a split second, but then he gets him back, and Kirk's still able to beat him somehow. That's a little weird. Yeah, I've I've, I've never understood that. He's unstoppable unless his eyes aren't glowing,
0: and then, <laughs> then it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you're right. There is a lot of... There's a lot of sitting around and talking. What are we going to do about Gary? You know, Gary's going to be in trouble. I mean, there's a lot of conference room scenes, but it... I like the more human element. I like that it's more about Kirk having to sacrifice his best friend, which is something we'll get into next week when we talk about Kirk, is he is always up for sacrificing himself, but he hates having to sacrifice other people. And that's really the, the crux of the episode, for me at least, is that Gary Mitchell is his friend, and he doesn't want to have to hurt Gary even though Gary could hurt everyone. And I think that that's the, that's what eventually the needs of the many, even here from the pilot, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Gary is a threat and Kirk must man up and get rid of Gary for the sake of the enterprise and eventually the rest of the galaxy.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. I think on the whole, the cage is a better episode. Um, I think kind of the, uh, the questions which are being asked in that are, are a bit more interesting than the questions which are being asked in where no man has gone before, you know. It, I I can see why where no man has gone before would be the one which would sell the show, because it really does do a better job of establishing the characters. Uh, well, especially since you know <laughs> you have the characters who are going to be in the show. But I mean, even beyond that, I I think that uh, the the scope of the episode does kind of show what. Star Trek can do uh, better than the cage does because it does have all that um, thoughtful stuff that's in the cage, but it also has, you know, the big action. And I think that they, that the pacing is a bit better. You know, the tone is, is a bit more um, refined.
0: Yeah. It, it seems that where no man has gone before finds the balance that the series needed to have between humor, drama, science fiction, relatability, all the kind of things that, that Rod Murray was wanting to do without being overly preachy or overly overly obvious as to what he was trying to say. Um not like half black, half white people against half white, half black people. Mm-hmm. There's there's no there's no subtlety to that. But this one's got the subtlety that makes you think. But it can also, you know, you could sit your kid in front of it, and they're like, "Ooh, you know, look at the floating, floating cups and the, you know, the guy with the crazy glowy eyes." Right. Which I, I think is, yeah, what eventually gave the original series its start, which is what a pilot should do.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah. I'm glad that the NBC could see the potential, and that that Roddenberry's pitch was that good that they could see the potential even in even if that episode wasn't exactly what they were looking for they could tell that with those sets and some of those actors they could really accomplish what they they wanted to accomplish with this show
1: apparently um the initial reaction after seeing the cage by the studio was like holy crap you know you you can actually do this like this is on television like this is insane from I guess a production standpoint you know and we look at it now and it looks you know rather cheesy because we're used to seeing things like Star Wars and everything like that but at the time I guess just the the scale of that show and the idea that it was going to be on television was just kind of mind-boggling to the studio. And I think maybe that, you know, the fact that they were like, this is, you know, I can't believe we did this. And the idea that no one would ever see it, I think that might have been a big factor in them giving Roddenberry another shot. Let's play a little what if.
0: Uh, How about, what do you think the series would have been like had they gone with, uh, just with the cage and said, that's great, keep doing that? You know, Jeffrey Hunter, Nigel Barrett, go ahead, do it. What do you think that show would have ended up being like?
1: Uh, You know, that's interesting. That's actually something that I've thought about quite a bit. Um, I think it still would have been good. I think for the most part, it still would have been the same show. But uh, I think giving them the, the second chance really gave them the opportunity to refine a lot of things. Like, obviously... I don't know. Captain Kirk seems better than Captain Pike. Without a doubt, William Shatner is better than Jeffrey Hunter, although I don't think that Hunter was bad. And obviously, uh McCoy was better than Philip Boyce. Is that Boyce? That? Yes. Yeah. So, um I I I do think that what they ended up with was better. But uh, what they had, I think, was pretty good. The big thing to me, the big improvement which was made in Where No Man Has Gone Before was melding Number One's personality with Mr. Spock. Yes. You know, making a Vulcan into an unemotional being really makes it stand out. It's no longer just an alien, just some some guy who has pointy ears. He now has... Something which makes him different from the humans, while it's unfortunate that they lost Major Barrett in particular and a woman on the bridge in general, I do think that uh you know uh, creating the character of Spock as we know him today was ultimately uh very, very beneficial to the series yeah having
0: having Spock is like the through line of all of the franchise. Um, You know, he's the the single point of reference in the new movies, even. As bad as it is that he is in the second one. But that's not
1: important right now. We'll we'll get into that. (laughs) That could be debated, by the way. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So so what do you you think about uh, The Cage as a potential series? I I like the idea.
0: I mean, I I think that it would have done well. I think that it would have been maybe more twilight zoney more i see it being more anthology maybe with with that cast and there's just so many of them like in order to get the the trinity that that we have we would have to have would we even have spock in that group or would it just be number one and Boyce and pike
1: i think i think spock would have been like a scotty type of character
0: yeah, I think I think that would that would lose something. Though it would be really neat to have the woman be the logical one, because you look at the series later on, and it's the '60s, so it's extraordinarily sexist. And having the woman be the the voice of reason, I think may have been may have been better. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I, I think having a woman as the voice of reason. Is fine, but I think they kind of went overboard with her, especially for like a a human character. When you've got when you've got this this other guy who's supposed to be different, just sitting there not being different.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it, it does make more sense to meld all the differences into a single character. That way, you can have episodes that focus on that character and it be different and not just well look at this human doing this human thing, not acting human. could see that, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if it would have its its lasting quality without the Shatner, DeForest, Nimoy connection. And didn't Hunter die like in in nineteen sixty
1: nine? Yeah, he died. Yeah, it was sixty eight or sixty nine. I think it was sixty nine. Yeah. If he had died, I mean, if Shatner had died in sixty nine,
0: I mean, I don't know if they would have tried a motion picture without. I mean, it's hard enough being like, oh, you can't do Star Trek on the big screen or do Star Trek without, you know, Kirk, like in the in next generation. But like to do Nimoy and DeForest and stuff without Shatner would be completely different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it probably wouldn't have that lasting impact. Now, I mean, it still might have had the uh, the rerun resurgence in the 70s. In which case, I think probably what would have happened is something along the lines of what happened with a lot of uh, TV shows from that era, where, in, you know, at, well, probably would have been earlier for Star Trek, maybe in the 80s, it, when, you know, Star Wars hit, they probably would have tried just remaking it for the big screen with a different cast, you know? Hmm. I can't see them uh, not touching it just because their lead was. Was dead, you know. I mean, but I can see them not continuing it in the way that they did today.
0: They they might have had like a phase two kind of thing, Mm -hmm. maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think it would have been more along the lines of a remake instead of a uh, a sequel.
0: And we we would have gotten a lot of the same episodes because a lot of them were in production. I don't I don't think they would have retooled the show as much. No. So, uh, you know. We would have still gotten Omega Glory and and Mud's Women and stuff. It just would have been Pike and Number One instead of Kirk and
1: Spock. And it's quite possible that they would have altered Pike's character. Quite likely, in fact, that they would have altered Pike's character in the same way that um, uh, they altered the character to make him Kirk. You know, I think changing the name was rather superficial, but the lessons that they learned from. The cage they would have taken into the series, and just like you know Spock's character changes drastically from uh, the cage to where no man has gone before, I think the difference between Pike and Kirk is relatively small. More the name than anything else, and the actor. Ultimately, I think the character would have been the same. Well, it's been fun comparing the pilots and dreaming about possibilities.
0: But that's just one of the Trek topics that everybody's been talking about this week on the network. So uh, here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere. Previously
1: on Trek.FM, The Orb. Looking,
0: Looking for Parmok in all the wrong places.
1: places. Well, and you also get the feeling here that she's only... Re- I mean, Worf really is only being rejected because she's not interested. It has nothing to do with whether or not Worf is Klingon enough or any of that. She's just not interested. She's interested in Quark. Earl Grey. The holodeck. Alexander Rojinko was conceived on the holodeck. <laughs>
0: That's exactly right. In War of Scalicenex program with Skeletor watching because he was just frozen there and he couldn't look away. The ready room. The trap
1: Well, it wasn't what Roddenberry wanted to do with it. It was what uh, the, the writer George Clayton Johnson wanted to do with it. But it was basically making the character more sympathetic.
0: To the journey! The Doctor. But I love that moment when Chakotay, like, uh, was projecting himself into the room, and like, he, he totally, like, kneels down and gets super serious and calm like Chakotay does. He's like, he's like, what you've shown us is, it's not what you're made of, but what you do or how you feel, you know? Like, he just getting, like, <laughs> and like, even in, like, season two, they start to realize the Doctor is not just a hologram. He is becoming something more. Commentary, Trek Stars. Caprica. Caprica. Prequels are sort of uh, a constant trap that people end up going to. You know, this thing was successful uh, and it ended. Well, let's go before it ended and tell a different story. Warp 5.
1: Klingons Klingons on Enterprise. Enterprise. Having the Klingons at the very beginning of the series running through that field, do you think that was born out of the discomfort that the studio had
0: in the idea of the prequel series to begin with? Trek News and Views the naked naked. time. Gold shirts are easily ripped and disposable. Yeah. Blue shirts self-replicate so that they you know, show no damage. And red shirts whisk away sweat.
1: Yeah, yeah. they're highly absorbent.
0: There you go. So that you can't tell that your security awesome. guards are nervous. Literary Trex. David, David R. George III, Revelation and, and Dust. And it feels like an evolution for Starfleet as well in the way that they built a star base.
1: Well, I'm glad that came across because that was Sort of one of the things that I was going for. You want to be an evolution in Starfleet's construction to Starbases. Mm-hmm. It should be something brand new. And because it's an important station, because it's in an important location, it, it really needed to be,
0: I thought, uh, a grand station. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. Just visit trek.fm/pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on uh, today's show. They can go to trek.fm/contact. There's a form there. they can choose to send to a show and then choose standard orbit that'll come to both of us. You can use the tab on the right hand of any page on TrekfM to send us voicemail using your webcam's uh, microphone. And you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums, and you can find uh, the site on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username at trek.fm. Now, where can people contact you if they don't necessarily want to contact the whole the whole network?
1: Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at comtrackstars, or you can also uh, check out... Uh, my show on Trek FM, which I do with uh, my co-host Max, Commentary Trek Stars, where we look at the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Or you can find our other show, Commentary Trek Stars, off-topic, which we do on CommentaryTrekStars.com.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And you can find me on random episodes of The Ready Room, where we'll talk about uh, which is our general show where we talk about episodes and break them down and see what they're made of. You can also find some articles that I've written, overly examination articles on fonts used in the original series, which is is i'm still i'm I'm still proud of it. I need to update it for into darkness because they
1: threw all of my theories out of the window. Well we'll have to do an episode on the fonts at some point. We could do a whole podcast on the fonts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like a whole series. No, I know. Yeah, we'll we'll do that uh, after we do the aspect ratio uh, podcast. Yeah. Which by the way, I'm still serious about doing. So You're still
0: serious about this. Yeah. You, you may you may have to keep an eye out for that Yeah. listeners. <laughs> Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor for today's show. Squarespace is the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or anything else you can imagine. Create your own space today. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial. No credit card required. Then use the offer code TRACK10 to save 10%. You're going to love it, and we really thank Squarespace for the support of Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And if you'd like to personally support Standard Orbit, the network, and our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Standard Orbit and our
1: other shows to you every week. And you can get a pin with a gorn on it, so why would you not do that?
0: Everyone needs a pin with a gorn on it. Put it on your ThinkGeek bag of holding or your your hat. There you go. So everyone, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr.
1: Check-off.